I'm Bill. And I'm T-Dog. And this is Two Films, Two, films, two, two curious, curious, where the two of us watch two movies. And we're curious about them. Yes. And unlike last time when we did not watch any movies, this time we have, in fact, watched two movies. And those two movies are part of this year's new theme. And they have a lot of people in them. They all have a lot the of people. The people of, of multiple movies. Yes. Well, Suicide Squad at least does. Oh, I spoiled it. Oh. I said what it is. Damn it. <laughs> well, thanks for watching movies. And uh, stay curious. And we love you. No, I'm kidding. The theme for this year, as you know, the years for this podcast run February to February. The theme for this year is tropes, where we will look at an old version of a trope and a new version of the trope. Mm-hmm. However, just like everything else about this show, the theme came about very inorganically because I wanted to make you watch Suicide Squad and I wanted to watch Dirty Dozen again. And I thought, (laughs) wow, those have a very similar trope, but one is a much older version of it than the other. That should be our theme for the year. And sure enough, it is. Is is Dirty Dozen the, like, genesis of this trope? I... Is it one of the earliest examples? I, I mean, feel in, like in it is, movies, at least. Right. I feel like it's an incredibly early example. I don't know if it's the progenitor of the trope. And I know that there are... Like, I saw a movie older than Dirty Dozen called... Oh, oddly enough, The League of Gentlemen. Not The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but The League of They're gentlemen. just regular gentlemen. They're just regular <laughs> gentlemen. Um, but that's more of a like an Ocean's Eleven style, get the gang together to do the heist kind of a thing. Okay. So it's not really Dirty Dozen, Suicide Squad. But... The idea, this trope, which I, I'm sure has a name, but the uh, the idea of a, a bunch of people uh, on death row or sentenced to life mm-hmm. in prison are given the ability to commute their sentence if they go on a mission that is almost certainly a suicide mission. Dirty Dozen, I really think, might be the origin or at least a very early version of this trope, and it's a World War II movie. And then Certainly Suicide the Squad is... prominent. You know, yeah, exactly. Or at least the, the most prominent that's not a superhero movie. But uh, let me go ahead and tell you about what happens in the Dirty Dozen before we get further into this thing. So <clears throat> the plot of the Dirty Dozen is this. There's 12 people. And they're just filthy. They're covered in mud. <laughs> and a guy comes in and cleans them off. And he says, are y'all the Dirty Dozen? And they're like, yep. And they're naked the entire time. <laughs> That's a lie. All of that is wrong. Well, most of that is wrong. They are incredibly dirty. There's a whole bit where they don't shower. Anyways, Lee Marvin is a major in the Army in World War II, and he works for – or his his, uh, MO is being the major in charge of this military prison. And the movie starts with an execution, and uh, he goes to – in a very classic bit of Army cinema – he goes to his commanding officer's uh, lounge, <laughs> his commanding officer's, like, hangout spot. And his commanding officer's like, hey, how was the show? And he was like, a, a guy just died. Like, let's let's dial it back a little bit. And uh, eventually they're like, like, we don't want you to be a part of this anymore. We're, we're sending you out. And then they have this idea to both save his job and... Uh, maybe help do a mission. They find a, a German, uh, like, summer getaway that a lot of German officers go to. 
and they're like, we know that it's there. We know that there are going to be German officers there. We need to send 12 people that will probably not, or a team of people that will probably not make it back. And so we'll pick people from your from your prison because uh, who cares? And he was like, "Listen, they're, they're not going to criminals anyway. Right, they're all criminals, yeah." And he's like, "Listen, they're not going to they're not going to just go. <laughs> like, why why do all of that effort to die anyways if they're just going to die here and have no effort? You have to have some sort of perk." And he was like, "All right, mm-hmm. if it's a successful mission, we'll commute their sentence." But we have to know that it's going to be a successful mission. We're not going to send them on it unless we know that it's going to be successful. So you need to train them. <clears throat> so he goes and he pulls his 12 dudes that he wants. Like a lot, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this a little bit more, like a lot of the tropes of these movies, some of these people are in jail for really bullshit reasons. Some of them are in jail oh, for gosh. unfortunate reasons, and some of them are in jail because they're horrifying. They're horrible people. Looking at you, Archer Maggot, who is not a good person. It's in his name. It is. It is in his name. He's not a Slipknot fan. He's just a horrible person. (laughs) And maybe a Slipknot fan. Who knows? Anyways, they, uh, he starts to train him up and he hates his commanding officer too. And they're beefing and it's a whole thing. Um, but he starts to train these guys and it's an unorthodox training style, but they start to bond with him, and he starts to bond with them. And eventually, they, they have to move to a different area, and it's a whole thing. But <clears throat> they realize, yep, no, these guys, these guys are going to do it. So they set up the mission. They go over to Germany. They airdrop in. Right off the bat, someone already dies. Uh, what's his name? I got the list, but it's 12 people, so I have to scroll through it. Uh... Oh, Pedro Jimenez, Trini Lopez, the musician, he dies uh, because he was disappointed that he wasn't getting the fair share of the money that he was supposed to, and they were like, well, we can fire you. So they killed his character. I'm sorry if that was one of your fun facts. Anyways, Mm -hmm. his character dies, and then they start to do the mission, and they're doing okay. They're getting into the building. They're getting everything set up. And then friggin' Maggot is like, I'm a horrible person, a deplorable human being. I'm going to try and, I don't know, sexually assault one of these women. And she screams, and so they kill him because he's being a horrible person and also blowing their cover, but also Mm -hmm. being a horrible person. And then, as you might assume, that's when the shit really pops off. And so they, they make it through the day. Donald Sutherland dies, and it really hurts my heart. But ultimately... I think Charles Bronson lives at the end, and so does Lee Marvin, so that's nice. And then they get out of there, and all of the men who died are, uh, their sentences are still commuted. They're, they're given their honorable discharge. They're not, their parents are, are given, or their family people are given medals, and yeah. they're getting the honor that they deserve for having done what they've done. Yeah, definitely. And uh, that's the Dirty Dozen. I don't think I missed anything. It- I don't think so. It's, I mean, not that it's a long movie, but it. It's a bit very succinctly summed it up. Like there's there's not much to say when right. it's you know moving from point A to point B. It's a lot of it's a lot of character because it's freaking mm-hmm. thirteen plus characters. There's a lot of people in it, and so it's a it's yeah, a very it's character more driven character movie. Character than plot, uh, yeah. but it's also two and a half hours, and it really could probably trim down a bit from that. I'm not going to say yeah. that I'm some sort of it's hard to filmmaker so characters, right? Yeah. I mean. It became easier to remember who was who as the movie went on because some people weren't there anymore. (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah, and some of them were just, 
I don't know. They were just iconic. Like yep. Charles Bronson's the only way can speak German. Donald Sutherland looks like Donald Sutherland. Jim Brown has his whole uh, story that makes him a compelling character. Maggot is a horrible shit. person. Right. Yeah. So there you go. some of them are, yeah. <laughs> the major is the major. He's the guy in charge. Anyways, <clears throat> that's Dirty Dozen. Why don't you tell us about uh, The Suicide Squad? The Suicide Squad? Suicide Squad? Is this one with the, the, is the article there? Yes, it is. Okay. The Suicide Squad is a wonderful movie. Yes, it features it is. prominently the heroes of our society, rats. <laughs> but before we get to the rats, let me <laughs> explain the rest of the movie. So <clears throat> I haven't seen the first Suicide Squad, but I know the concept. We have Amanda Waller, mm-hmm. who is in charge of this, you know, Task Force Wait, X. You haven't seen the first Suicide Squad? I haven't. Oh, wow. I really like that movie. Anyways, we'll move on. Um, <clears throat> and basically they take the, because we're set in the DC universe, the villains of the DC universe that are currently incarcerated, and they say, hey, you know, we'll comp part of your prison time or let you go, or, you know, depending on what they did and mm-hmm. how severe it was, if you do this suicide mission. And by the way, if you try to abandon us, uh, we have a bomb in the base of your neck and your head will explode. We can do that whenever we want, so just don't. Yeah. Don't try to run away once you get to the island or whatever. Like, Don't do that. We meet a couple interesting characters. We have a, a person called Weasel. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> who, despite being in the movie for like all of five minutes, is one of the most memorable characters. And that is not to say the others aren't memorable. It's just that he is so memorable. Uh, basically, she's some of these people. They're like, all right, you're going to drop in on this island. Uh, you're going to... I don't even remember what she tells them. You're going to just do this thing. Yeah. They're all like, okay. The island, and they all basically. drop on the yeah. island and they all start dying real fast. <laughs> Pretty much everyone, except for we have Harley Quinn is captured because it's Harley Quinn. And then the commander of this little group that I guess isn't a uh, prisoner. He's like works for uh, like you know, the government is there too. Mm-hmm. And we don't know what happens to him. He's kind of left in the air. Then we find out there's a B team that's actually the A team. And we have on that team Bloodsport, who's played by Idris Elba. We have Peacemaker. We have uh, King Shark, who is my second favorite character. Mm-hmm. Polka Dot Man and my Ratcatcher. Ratcat- well, technically Ratcatcher 2. Yeah. They all show up and then <clears throat> she's like, they're seeing explosions and gunfire. And she- Amanda Waller's like, actually, that's just a decoy that's a you know whatever you guys have the real mission <laughs> you guys are going to blow up this thing called i forget what it's called oh, jotunheim right because giants live there <clears throat> as they're kind of going through the jungle she's like oh wait so, side quest they captured rick flag who's the you know the person in charge of the other team right you guys need to go kill his captors so they all go their powers are like well, Bloodsport and Peacemaker kind of have the same power in that they're just, they're like John Wick, basically. Anything is a deadly weapon. A pen, a pencil, yeah, uh, a marker, a Sharpie, whatever it is. Whatever writing implement, <laughs> they can still kill people with it. Bloodsport has these cool, like, his suit is kind of, not nanotechnology, but it is very reminiscent of, like, Tony Stark. He can just grab pieces of it and they combine together and make guns and cool yeah. stuff. I really like that. Uh, part Peacemaker of it. has so these big ass guns, like literally and 
metaphorically because it's John <laughs> Cena, so his muscles are huge. And they're kind of showing off with each against each other, killing all the people in this camp, rescuing the uh, Colonel Flag. And then they get there and Flag's like, hey, yeah, no, these guys are rebels. They're helping me. We're going to go and we're going to take over. Not take over. We're going to go, you know, do our mission. And they're like, oh, yeah, we killed everyone. <laughs> <clears throat> I love that scene. They decide to go anyway. We find out that Polka Dot Man has, uh, is very, as Peacemaker calls him, Norman Bates. He hates his mother because mm-hmm. uh, she infected him with this virus. So that's where he gets his powers. <clears throat> we find out Ratcatcher's sad past of Ratcatcher 1, who was her dad, overdosed. But she loves Rat. She has a little friend named Sebastian, who's my favorite character in the movie. <clears throat> uh, Peacemaker is very afraid of rats. Just kind of it, it develops as the movie goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, so they sneak into the town. A couple of them get captured. The rest of them escape. But then the ones that got captured escape. They team up and they're like, "All right, we need to save Harley Quinn because we just found out she's still alive." They go, and meanwhile, Harley Quinn is killing everybody in spectacular ways. It's like, I think the like the best sequence in the movie. It's so cool, and so badass. So badass. Ends up killing everyone. Really just- surprisingly beautiful yeah uh, well yeah then like the blood becomes flowers and stuff it's very i mean it reminds me of the harley quinn movie yeah really <clears throat> so she gets out they're about to bust in to save her and she's like hey what are you guys doing <laughs> and they're like oh we're rescuing you she's like oh no i got it i got it yeah we're she good. has this javelin because one of the fuel you know, aboard b team guys was like this javelin is yours now as he was dying. She's like, what the fuck is this? I don't know what this is, <laughs> but she used it to great effects while she was escaping. Um, they find out, I mean, they're like, all right, we got to go blow up this, you know, big tower called Jotunheim. We find out that the thinker who is this guy with a bunch of electrode things in his head mm-hmm. is kind of, he's been here for a long time working with the government of that, uh, you know, country, Oh, Harley Quinn killed the president. It's a whole old like B plot, but we're worried about the Suicide Squad. Right. They find out that there's this thing, this huge starfish, called Project Starfish, that can emit these tinier small fish and control people. And the guy calls him Starro the Conqueror, classic a DC supervillain. A classic, but also a weird. We'll talk about that later. Such a weird. I don't know. James, only James Gunn could have made that work. Anyways. Yeah, uh, but also yeah, also so weird. Uh, whenever he emits these small starfish, they connect to someone and then basically kill them and then control their body. So there's like, they've been experimenting with this thing for 30 years. Well, at least, uh, the thinker has. So they go into like the basement, a couple of the members, Ratcatcher 2, uh, Rick Flag, and thinker. And then Peacemaker shows up too. Thinker's like, guys, we're on the same team. I'm part of the U S government. They sent you to cover this up. I mean, they funded this thing, and then now they just want to cover it up because, you know, the the dictatorship of this company wants to, or the of this country wants to use the Starro. Rick Flag's like, this is fucked up. I'm gonna take this hard drive, and I'm gonna show everyone that the government's a piece of shit. And the peacemaker's like, uh, 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 not so fast. Sorry, Actually, Jim. I knew all about this. I work for Waller, really. Right. And uh, I. I can't let you take that hard drive. I'm going to have to kill you. They fight. It's actually a pretty close fight. He kind of barely wins with a piece of porcelain. Peacemaker kills 
uh, Rick Flag. Ratcatcher 2 grabs the hard drive and she's like, no, this is wrong. And then she runs away. Peacemaker chases her. He's about to kill her. And now we cut to the other team, which is setting the explosives in this place. Due to some mishaps and a sad death of Milton, who's their friend. Milton? Well, who's Milton? <laughs> He's been with us they the set... whole time. The explosives go off early and everything kind of collapses. They barely make it out. Um, <clears throat> Peacemaker is about to kill Ratcatcher. When uh, Bloodsport shows up, he <clears throat> kills Peacemaker, quote-unquote, incapacitates him. And he's like, oh, this hard drive has information that we could use to blackmail people? I'm going to keep it because that sounds pretty <laughs> useful. Now Starro has gotten out because they didn't fully destroy the place. They only right. kind of did. <clears throat> and he's controlling all the population of the planet, or not the planet, of the country. Waller's like, you guys did a good job. You destroyed the hard drive, right? You guys can just get out of there. Mission accomplished. And they're like, uh, no, we're going to fight this thing because it's killing innocent people. Right. She's like, well, then I'm going to blow all your heads up. But her her subordinates knock her out, and then they help the Suicide Squad. They end up fighting the big starfish. They're really fighting the smaller starfish. Uh, King Shark eats part of the starfish. He, d he just eats stuff for the whole movie, really. That's kind of like his whole thing. He gets hungry. He does. And then they end up killing it. Harley Quinn pierces its eye. And then a rat catcher 2 summons all the rats in the whole city. So many rats. So many. And they just eat the starfish's you know, insides and brain. And, and then he dies. And all the people he's controlling die. Mm -hmm. And they save the day. And then once Waller comes, you know, wakes up again, Bloodsport's like, hey... I uploaded all the stuff on this hard drive to a server. If you let, if you kill any of us, it's all going to get released. So you got to let us go. And then she lets them go. Everyone's happy. There you go. And then, oh, in no. the first after credit scene, it turns out Weasel's alive. <laughs> he was just kind of drowned for long enough that people left him alone, and now he's just loose on the island. <laughs> oh, Weasel. And then we find out Peacemaker's actually alive. He was not killed. And the rest of Waller's team, she's like, y'all are going to go help him on this thing because I'm punishing you, basically. <laughs> That's, That's the movie. That's Suicide Squad. Now, uh, earlier, before we started this episode, uh, you oh, specifically... Oh, what were you going to say? Polka Dot, Polka Dot Man died. Yeah, Polka, was, di Polka Dot was, Man uh, died, and that made me really sad. squanched by the giant uh, starfish. I'm a superhero, and then he dies. <laughs> Classic bit. Before we started recording this episode, you said to me specifically, hey, I think it would be a good idea if I said the plot of the Suicide Squad first, and then you did Dirty Dozen. And I was like, yeah, that's great. And then halfway through Dirty Dozen, I thought, oh, no, I messed this up. So a thing that I was going to save until the end, I will say now, which is oh, this. Okay. <laughs> a, couple of, a little bit ago, uh, at mm -hmm. the birthday party for Two Films for Curious alum, Devin. Uh, we did a PowerPoint party, and you presented a brief presentation called Your Friend the Rat. Mm -hmm. I don't think this is a foreign concept to this podcast, but it may not have been as explicitly stated that you are, you, you, you could be considered rat friend. Yes. Tell us a little bit about maybe the unfair judgment that a rat gets. So rats are... As Ratcatcher 1 says in this movie, 
I don't know the exact quote, but he says like, you know, they're the most this like derised creature. And so if there's good in them, there's good in all of us. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to start putting that quote in any presentations I do once I find what the actual quote is. (laughs) But really rats have a bad rap. I mean, it's the most, the most common thing is like, oh, well, rats caused the black plague. But actually they didn't because then we found out, oh, it was the fleas on the rats. And then we found out, oh, actually it was just people. Yep. As we've learned now in the age of COVID, People just don't like to quarantine. They don't. <laughs> and they spread it everywhere else. So don't blame the rats. Nope. The rats didn't cause COVID either. Rats haven't caused any of those things. Have Could they have possibly introduced it to Europe maybe? Sure. But then if people just quarantined, which this fine. is where the word quarantine comes from, because boats had to wait in the harbor for 40 days before they could dock to make sure that no one on board was sick, then we wouldn't be in this predicament. There we go. In a similar um, vein, yeah, I know we haven't gotten to similarities and differences yet, but there is a much maligned type of person in the Dirty Dozen that I personally am a fan of, and I think it's my turn to talk about your friend, the Canadian. <laughs> Despite playing an American in the movie, Donald Sutherland, as we all know, is Canadian. He's from Canada. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Canadians oftentimes get a bad rep. We talk about them being polite and a little buffoonish, but Canada has given us some really phenomenal, amazing things. Progressive tell, tell rock trios. What's, what, what's the best and most prominent progressive rock trio you think that's from Canada? Well, the rock band Rush would probably be the most <laughs> prominent and phenomenal progressive rock trio to come from Canada. And if, for more on that, we can speak at length. Later on, give me a call. I'll put my phone number up, and I will talk to you for many hours about Rush. Uh, but also things like poutine and uh, flags with the with a maple leaf on them. I was going to say, is maple syrup from Canada? I don't know, but they do it really well, so it's certainly mm-hmm. up there. Uh, they do it best, even if they didn't make it. Exactly. I think that, like like rats, sure, there are some bad eggs if quarantine has taught us anything, Ted Cruz is a real bastard. Mm-hmm. But not all Canadians, you know? Not all rats. Not all rats. Not all rats are Canadians. Not all Canadians are Ted Cruz. <laughs> hey, that sounded like you were trying to imply that he was a rat. No, rats are nice. He's we just talked rats. about that. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that's just an aside. Uh, Tell us some fun facts about these movies. I will. So, let me go to my Dirty Dozen ones first. So, uh, Lee Marvin referred to this movie as crap and, quote, just a dummy moneymaker, even though he enjoyed the film. The movie has nothing to do with war, he stressed, which he was very pleased he got to do in The Big Red One, 1980 which mirrored his own wartime experiences. Marvin also said that the actors in the film were too old to play soldiers. That is something that someone who has been in a war would say. Yep, yeah. <laughs> because we send, you know, the youngest and most vulnerable yep. young men and women to war. Less of a fun fact, more of just a fact. <laughs> a sad fact. <laughs> uh, this one's interesting. Production ran for so long that Jim Brown was in danger of missing training camp for the upcoming 65-66 to 66 football season. Um, huh. 
As the training camp and the NFL season approached, they've threatened to fine and suspend him if he did not leave, film, leave filming and report to the camp immediately. Not one to take threats, he held a press conference to announce his retirement from football. At the time <laughs> of his retirement, he was considered one of the best in the game and even today is considered one of the all-time greats of the NFL. I'm here for that. I'm here for that. Oh, you're going to threaten me? Nah, pass. Be done. Uh, I retire. Yeah. Here's that threat. That's like the opposite of someone being forced to resign. Right. He's like, no, no, no. You don't have to do anything. I'll just quit. <laughs> um, he later recalled, I loved my part. This is a separate uh, fun fact. I was part of the dozen, a quiet leader, my own man, at a time when Hollywood was not giving those roles to black people. Yeah. I never had more fun than making this movie. The male cast was incredible. I worked with some of the strongest, craziest guys in the business. I really liked this his character. Nice. It was a very, for a, a, a mm-hmm. type of a movie that can be very tropey, some of these characters felt more tropey than others, and his certainly did not feel tropey, and that's nice to yeah, have being the one black character in the movie. Yeah, it's the one, especially the movie made in the 60s, you would expect to be the tropey one. Exactly. <clears throat> uh, construction of the fate the fake chateau proved to be so too good. The script called for it to be blown up, but the construction was so solid, 70 tons of explosives would have been needed <laughs> to achieve the effect. So instead they rebuilt it from cork and plastic, and that's what they actually exploded. <laughs> it's like the opposite of uh, The Shining with the door. Yeah. They built the door too weak because they were like, no, he can knock it in. But they and didn't he was, know that. Wasn't he a volunteer yeah. firefighter or whatever? Yeah, Jack Nicholson <laughs> is old hat at chopping down doors, and so they had to rebuild it even stronger than a regular door. Um, <clears throat> last one for Dirty Dozen. The cast apparently enjoyed England, spending a lot of time uh, in what was then swinging London through. Lee Marvin would occasionally disappear on one of his motorcycle outings. Clint Walker had an unusual experience. He was well known as a TV star. Cheyenne with some film roles under his belt. Uh, Walker visited Buckingham Palace and marveled at the famously immobile guards. But as he started to walk away, one asked for his autograph out of the side of his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> That's really neat. So the guards they broke their thing for him. Yep. That does not happen often. <laughs> now fun facts for Suicide Squad. Uh, as for how director James Gunn got Sylvester Stallone so to voice King <laughs> Shark, anyway, it didn't take a whole lot of convincing. Gunn said to him, I wrote a role for you in the Suicide Squad. I won't take much of your time. Stallone said, oh, yeah? And then he said, yeah, it's a big kind of chubby human-eating shark, to which Stallone said, anything for you, brother. Because <laughs> <laughs> you would not expect him to take a voice role, really. No, or <laughs> I mean, it's it's that Stallone. kind of role. I don't know. I mean, I guess he was in Suicide Squad too. I mean, uh, uh, Guardians too. So I guess that mm-hmm. he's he's he's, he's down like with James Gunn. But yeah, that foundation there. Yeah, I he's he, he was perfect for that role, for the voice. You know who plays his body? Who the tall nerdy guy with the glasses that works for Amanda Waller? Oh, yeah. Double roll. A double roll. One of two people. Oh, but just because he's role. so tall, really, is yeah. why he was. <laughs> uh, James Gunn specifically filled Suicide Squad with obscure and unknown villains. I would like to say I knew most of these from Batman the Brave and the Bold. Yeah. Because uh, he said it felt more faithful to the Suicide Squad in the comics. Yeah. Quote, I wanted to stick with John Ostrander's original vision of mostly second-rate antagonists. There's an innate tragic element to supervillains who aren't even that good at being bad. Yeah. 
I heard that, and I don't know if this is on your list of fun facts or even if it's true, um, but I heard that he had thought about doing Crazy Quilt instead of Polka Dot Man. Mm. I like Polka Dot Man. I don't know. Crazy Quilt is legit. I mean, not that Polka Dot Man is some sort of bastion of sanity, but Crazy Quilt is a little bit more out there. But at least yeah, he's not like so. Condiment King or something like that. So Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this one's just, I mean, it's one sentence and I, it kind of makes sense. John Cena described Peacemaker as quote, a douchebag Captain America, Yep. <laughs> which he is, especially as, you know, I knew it from the memes before watching the movie yeah. line of, I cherish peace with all my heart. I don't care how many men, women, and children I have to kill to get it. <laughs> <laughs> That's something, something an evil Captain America would say. Exactly. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> this one's this one's very fun. To honor Nathan Fillion, mm -hmm. who plays the detachable kid in the very beginning of when he dies almost immediately. Yep. His home city of Edmonton, loca located in Alberta, Canada. Another so Canadian. Canadian too. Officially renamed their city hall to Nathan Fillion Civilian Pavilion for the <laughs> opening of the movie. <laughs> so for the for one week, it was named Nathan Fillion Civilian Pavilion. The Nathan Fillion Civilian Pavilion lasted longer <laughs> than his role in the movie. Oh, certainly. <laughs> he probably wasn't even on set for a week. No. Uh, Abner Krill, who is Polka Dot Man, mm -hmm. is a, quote, experiment gone wrong in a suit covered with polka dots who James Gunn described as, quote, the dumbest DC character of all time and hoped to turn him into a tragic character for the film. Unbeknownst to Gunn, David, I'm not going to try to say Bass his last Malkia? name, the actor, yeah. is that how we're saying that? has vitiligo huh. and felt a personal connection to the character for reasons included being bullied and called polka dots as a child. Interesting. So he really resonated with Polka Dot Man. Which I'm sure helped make him a tragic character. And he, he very much is. Yeah. I really, I, I, I mean. His deadpan responses are just the funniest we so have perfect. we were cracking up the whole time <laughs> every I, time you're just like i turned them into my mother and it's easy to kill them <laughs> and you're just like what the fuck he's a really he's really perfect and i like i mean i like him as an actor i like the i like the character i think polka dot man was a really weird choice mm -hmm. and i don't know i was expecting i i was not expecting james gunn suicide squad which is dumb because that's exactly what it is but i was expecting it to be more zany and then his character i'm like wow this is this is really touching. <laughs> this is really dear. <laughs> we knew right, almost right away with the first instance of, oh, this is licensed music, that it was a James Gunn movie. <laughs> <laughs> Although I will say that the the first one has uh, at least, has a non-zero amount of licensed music as well. It feels not unlike uh, a James Gunn soundtrack by way of the Hot Topic t-shirt aisle. Like they were trying to make it a, like it was made by James Gunn. Uh, a bit, maybe. I don't know. I really, it's it's definitely like a. I you know. I I will go in with much lower expectations because this one was so good. But it does make me interested in watching the first. I put those expectations on the ground because let me tell you something. <laughs> I love that movie. Straight up, drop them. <laughs> I love that movie, and I want you to like it too. So I need you to expect it to be the worst piece of garbage you've ever seen. So that when you watch it, and it's only a mediocre piece of garbage, you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
I don't think it gets a bad rep. I think it has exactly the rep it needs to. I just uh, maybe like it more <laughs> than a lot of people do. I really like that first one. Anyways, I, I, do you have any more fun facts? That is it. Unlike pretty much every episode we've done up to this point, I don't have additional fun facts in my pocket. Oh. Except to say that uh, Donald Sutherland, despite looking old as fuck in this movie, is not as old as he is in uh, Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. This is from the 1960s, <laughs> and he still looks really old. I forgot that he was in the Hunger Games. He's I've a... only seen the first Hunger Games movie. For the longest time, that was the only one I hadn't seen. But now I've seen them all. <laughs> you know what? Let's talk a little bit. Hunger Games, I think that we need to maybe find some way to do like a eight films too curious and watch like a hunger games and then another four part series like oh no twilight they broke the last one into two movies huh yeah which they really could have done wait did they do that with uh i mean they did do that with hunger games that's why it's four movies instead of three anyways doesn't matter we'll move on i'm getting distracted (laughs) i just want to watch hunger games we're seeing i'm seeing a lot of hunger games references out here and today Mm -hmm. saw a tweet sent to me from Two Films Three Curious alum, Devin, about the quarter quell. It's a Hunger Games thing. I want to watch more Hunger Games. Let's talk about similarities and differences. I think right off the bat, we got to talk about the trope. That team of misfits, team mm-hmm. of criminals that are banded together to do this suicide mission. I will say, I think of all of the types of movies I've seen like this, James Gunn's The Suicide Squad is definitely more committed to killing these people than a lot of other ones. Dirty Dozen kills a lot of their people, but it all happens at the end in the climactic thing. Suicide Squad is like, nope, the whole mission is a suicide mission, not just the neat part at the end. Yeah, Yeah, I guess at the end only... I guess, I mean, that's kind of a difference, really. Yeah. And the Suicide Squad is front-loaded with death. Yeah. (laughs) And at the end, it's really only, I mean, Flag and Polka-Dot Man that die of of the... Main team, quote-unquote. Milton. And Milton. Who's Milton? <laughs> He's with us the whole time. <laughs> well, Milton. He wasn't a that guy? That was sent there. He so was he... still here? <laughs> I was not expecting her to call uh, Bloodsport uh, <laughs> Milton. Milton the, <laughs> I had seen, I've seen this movie twice now, and the second time through I had forgotten, and it was hilarious. <laughs> I think that... Uh, Obviously, there's a, a huge tonal difference. Uh, oh, yes. But I think that both movies know what parts are supposed to be somber. Mm-hmm. And I think that although... I don't know. Dirty doesn't feels long, but doesn't have a lot of stuff. Suicide Squad feels short and has a ton of stuff. Suicide Squad is longer than Dirty Dozen, but I feel like Dirty Dozen feels like a longer movie. I didn't realize it really did not feel how. Yeah, Dirty Dozen felt like a long movie, and Suicide Squad did not at all. Yeah. So I was surprised at how two hours it... and forty-five minutes, right? Two hours. Yeah, it's like well, I think it's two hours and thirty something. Minutes. Is it? Oh, two hours and twelve. Okay, so it's shorter, but not by much, and it definitely feels like there's a lot more stuff in there than two hours it's, and twelve minutes there's, worth. There's only maybe one or two dips in. The pace of the movie. Otherwise, right. it's pretty... 
Right. Oddly, the the club scene I think has a little has a little bit of a slowdown in it. Yeah. I think that Dirty Dozen is an old movie, and it feels like an old movie, but it doesn't feel. We've seen some older movies sometimes on this list, and I know that sometimes mm-hmm. some of our listeners don't like the pacing of an older movie. And I you feel can just like say it's me. You don't have to say listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of some of our other listeners also that don't like the pace of an older movie. But also, yes, I know that you're not a huge fan of the pacing of an older movie. And this may be something better for the questions part of the end, but I feel like it doesn't it didn't have a it was at least better than some of these old movie pacings. That yeah, I think sometimes. so. Okay. And, you know, I don't think it's really until just now that I realized that maybe it is the pacing that is the thing that yeah. has me you know, struggling to connect more with these movies, or as much as I do with a modern movie. Yeah. Because I feel like even the slower slower or longer modern movies the pacing is still different like i'm not going to say that the blade runner 2049 pacing is the same as the dirty dozen pacing even though those two may be similar than say comparing blade runner 2049 and white christmas yeah do you have any other similarities um i mean obviously we have talked about it's it's the same trope Mm -hmm. but i don't know it feels like dirty dozen the deaths other than Margaret, heroic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it, in that it's like obviously it's glorifying war, which mm-hmm. is that's a whole other can of worms sure. to open. Uh, but like with the Suicide Squad, it felt more like. Oh, it was. I mean, Polka Dot Man, Polka Dot Man's death was sad, but also it was kind of played as a comedic moment. Yeah, he was like, "I'm a superhero. I did." Boom, yeah. he's dead. <laughs> yeah. Versus it, it's, you know, totally much more serious in Dirty Dozen. Right. I was able, I was distracted while watching it, so I didn't cry when Donald Sutherland died this time. Although, oh, and that's the joke in uh, Sleepless in Seattle. They talked about uh, didn't, when they're the uh, two couples are talking and the two women are discussing the parts that they cry in Affair to Remember, and the two men are talking about how they cry when Trini Lopez dies in Dirty Dozen. And there's nothing wrong with crying There's not at a movie or anything else in your life. Let's be real. Some of the people that host this podcast cry quite a bit. I think it's both of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's healthy. It's good for you. It is. Listeners, it's okay to cry. Sometimes you get dehydrated. So have some water with you. Speaking of, we haven't we haven't talked about this yet, but uh we have talked about potentially doing this episode at some point during this year. Uh in an in an attempt to make you cry just a lot, we're going to watch Mr. Holland's Opus and oh, no. uh <laughs> School of Rock. So It's been a minute I since mean, we've School watched School of Rock. Might make me cry. It kind of makes me cry sometimes too. Yeah, there you go. So... Your kids have touched me, and I'm pretty sure I've touched them, too. <laughs> what would you say I, are some of the the differences in the... Like, if we're talking about the trope, getting the criminals mm-hmm. together to do a suicide mission, what are the differences in the trope between Dirty Dozen and Suicide Squad? Mm. 
I feel like the trope, the core of the trope is very similar. The differences oh, yeah. are are pastiches. It's superheroes versus World War II. Uh, the mission is slightly different. Um, I think that at the at the the really the main difference about the the trope is that the people that make it home in Dirty Dozen are heroes, versus yeah. the people that survive at the end of Suicide Squad are free. They're free, but I mean, still, arguably supervillains, right? In in some way, sure. I mean, like some of them weren't. Like Ratcatcher Two was not a supervillain. No. She tried to rob one bank, right, with rats, and then they were like, uh, straight to jail, directly to no jail. trial, no trial. <laughs> Overcooked Bloodsport, chicken. It was probably going to be a little bit of a better person sure. by the end of it. Harley Quinn is just still Harley Quinn, right, so Harley, she yeah. might still be a supervillain. <laughs> I will say she has experienced growth. Yeah. Oh, definitely. From Suicide Squad 1 movies. to Birds of Prey to this, she is out here fully committed to removing the red flags from her life. Yes. I was very shocked at that point in the movie the first time oh, I watched it. that made me jump. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting to hear... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, think that, uh, I think that that might be the... the the biggest real difference between the old version of this trope and the new version of this trope. I yeah, think that the I... similarity is important that uh, there are people on these teams that are fully deplorable. Um, but I guess another difference yeah. uh, being that maggot is a, just a horrible person, oh, but there's a no tropey, redeeming. no, a tropey yeah. horrible person and peacemaker while still a huge uh, comedic boost he is horrible because he represents the American government as opposed to Maggot, who is horrible because he is not helping the American government amongst his other faults. Yeah, that's I mean, that's also kind of, I guess, one of the major tonal differences is that this movie is very anti-American government. Yeah. Like, really, at the end, it's they have to blackmail to, like, survive. Right. And not be immediately killed. Yeah. <laughs> Versus, like you said, in Dre Dozen, it's like, oh, they're heroes. It's a very populist movie, it's, The Suicide Squad. Yeah. They're, the nature of their mission is different enough that they make for very different movies in that yeah. way. I mean, and they're going to kill Nazis. Yeah. Like, Everybody loves killing Nazis. In in uh, Dirty Dozen, which is the most heroic thing you can do, sure. really. Yeah. And in Suicide Squad, it's, hey, cover up. Uh, we did some kind of shitty shit. Right. And they don't know that. We but, you know, legitimately we hired to, we Nazis. We need you to cover it. We need you to cover it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's they're opposite in that way, I guess. <laughs> There's the big difference. Whether or not the government is supporting Nazis at the time of the movie. <laughs> oh America. What other similarities and differences do you have on this movies? I don't have anything specific written down. I feel like this was one that was easy. These are both pretty easily digestible movies. And despite yeah. the trope being similar, it was fun to see the differences. Although it may have just been fun to watch these movies. Maybe that's what I I'm would saying. agree with that. I mean, obviously because of prominently featuring both rats and sharks, which are right. my second favorite animal group. <laughs> um. I liked one more than the other, sure. but 
I enjoyed both movies. I would I would venture a guess and to they, say I would say they were very easy to digest. Yeah, I, yeah, I would I would say I think that it would be not unreasonable to suggest that this might be our most easily digestible and fun popcorn pair. Whether or not mm-hmm. there are more exciting, more fun, better movies on episodes, this is the pair that might be the it, easiest. It and might most fun also to watch. be the goriest for it really very, only one of these films. It very well <laughs> might. I will say though that I was I I had forgotten that uh, the Dirty Dozen is definitively unrated. Uh, yeah. Well, yes, being pre-rating system, but also uh, it's not it's not not the things that would get you a higher rating in in today's society. Mm-hmm. Well, I have no more similarities and differences to discuss. You want to move on to questions? Let's do it. All right. Question one. If you could pick a supervillain to put in the next Suicide Squad movie, what supervillain would you pick? Oh. Does it have to be a DC supervillain? Unfortunately, yes, since it is a DC concept. I mean, because it was a DC thing, yeah. The next time, if they ever make a Sinister mm-hmm. Six movie, Secret Six, Sinister Six, you're the Spider-Man expert. So it, for Spider-Man, Sinister. Yeah. Okay. So if they ever make a... Yeah, because Secret Six is... DC again. If they ever There's make a Sinister many, Six, we'll do that. Many different one. iterations of the Sinister Six. And I'm hoping Morbius is not one of them. I haven't seen the movie, but I'm hoping he's not one of them. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Based on what I've seen of the after credit scene, he might be. He might be. Um Oh. Maybe uh I hate to say another Batman villain. Those are the ones I'm most familiar with. Also, they they really sort of front load Batman villains in the Suicide Squad. He just has a phenomenal rogues gallery. He, it's really God. It's like and my, mine is a Batman. I guess mine started as a Green Arrow villain, but is also a Batman villain. So I think, and I mean, I'm saying this as like the most diehard. I love Spider Man. Yeah. He's got a fantastic rogue gallery. I think Batman has probably the best in in comics in the business honestly just, as much as i like batman i think so that good. it's his villains that make me yeah consistently watch batman movies and read batman stories which is why i think that we hot take need to find something other than the core four that we tend to do batman i mean joker uh catwoman and well riddler two has been in a few yeah i guess joker because he yeah pops up frequently yep He's in the new one. Is he in the new one? He's at the he's in the end credit scene, isn't he? Maybe. Or maybe it was a deleted scene. Maybe that also. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, spoilers. I've not seen it, but spoilers. That's only I wouldn't care about spoil. Listeners know to expect spoilers on this podcast, right. but I care about spoiling you on something. <laughs> um, I think it would be interesting to see the dynamic that maybe like a quote unquote a list villain. Hmm would bring to being on the Suicide Squad. Okay. Not like Joker or anything like that, but maybe, I don't know, Bane. Okay. Someone, someone arguably, I guess, a little bit lesser known than like... Yeah. Joker or... Penguin has been on it before, I think. That would be a good one. In some of the old comics, I think. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting when it's a person without any kind of superpower or supernatural ability. 
uh, that goes hand Which in hand with would my be a choice. good uh, version of exactly. Uh, I think that it would be really neat because I don't know how you do him not on a comic book page, but I would love to see Onomatopoeia. He's a Green Arrow bad guy that Kevin Smith wrote, and then he wrote him for a Batman bad guy. But Onomatopoeia is like he's basically he's a serial killer who's trying to collect the masks of superheroes. Whoa! And like you see his whole room, and it's just all of these masks of superheroes that he's killed mm-hmm. and stolen their masks. Um, but his little his 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 thing, uh, instead of seeing his mom and killing his mom, like po- polka dot man. He makes that he says out loud the noises that the onomatopoeia things in comics do. So when like you snap when he's yeah. and the one of the covers for the green arrow one is he snaps an arrow and the arrow says snap and then he vocalizes snap. I I mean I was gonna base that guess that based off his name, but that's yeah. still an awesome like idea. <laughs> right? Isn't it so neat? It's like if Nightcrawler said bamf when he bamfed places. Yeah. I don't know. I really like or him as I a mean, character. Or I mean, you know, Adam West Batman. <laughs> right, exactly. The pow, wham, like all those noises. I like him. I think he's neat as a character. I don't know. I, I think that if James Gunn was on board for the next one, he might be one of the few people that has the ability to legitimize yeah. as such an odd <laughs> character like that. But I would love to see Onomatopoeia in it. Oh, that's a really good answer. I have a question for you. What is it? Why is it do you think that we find a story like this of, you know, people that have been, that are outcasts mm-hmm. that have been ostracized by society, either for things they did or things they didn't do right? or things that, you know, were blown out of proportion that they did. Why, why is it so endearing? Why do we care about people like this? Now I can't say for other cultures of the world, but this is one of the very few things that I can do with a history degree. We have, Despite <laughs> despite being the nation that America is, the people of America are so convinced that they are, since parts of America were founded this way, this ragtag group of underdogs that have succeeded. Mm-hmm. With a tremendous amount of help and the British army ultimately not caring anymore, yes, America was able to be this small, independent nation of upstarts that rebelled against the British Empire. But really, it's not like America was some tremendous underdog. However, the American people are consistently convinced that they are this Amer- this this underdog, this upstart group that was so maligned and has been successful despite that. And I think that it's part of the reason why American culture loves underdog stories and redemption stories and both dirty dozen and suicide squad are both of those kinds of stories Mm -hmm. they are underdogs who are redeemed and i think that that has something to do with it i could be talking out my ass but that's my guess No, i mean because a lot of people still feel that way yeah about america even though it like like it's america versus the world even though we spend more than every other country combined on our military right like that (laughs) it's just we're not underdogs no we haven't been underdogs conflating an ego to say Pre World War One, the most like, powerful country in the world, at right. least you know. It's it's kind of <clears> annoying <throat> to have to say that. Yeah, not that's not as a flex. I'm a little bit ashamed of that <laughs> personally. I think that's that's my that's my thought on it, anyways. Although I know that that's obviously that's, we're not the only nation a, to like an underdog story. Yeah. So the psychological reason why then why do you like it? 
specifically? Because I'm such a maligned, oppressed individual that I love to see. You're a gamer. <laughs> I don't know. I, I like to see. I like to see somebody who's the underdog be successful. I'm sorry, I should never have called you a gamer. Thank that, you. That's that was that's that was quite offensive. I don't. I don't. Yeah, I'm sorry. I have a Nintendo Switch. I'm clearly not a gamer. I mean, I play games, and I would hate to describe myself as a gamer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you've never hundred percent of the game, so you can't it's be like a gamer, my main right? hobby. So. <laughs> Anyways, I think that I don't know. I I like I like an underdog story. I like to see I I like an underdog story and I like a redemption story. I like a feel good story. I like a I like a story where people are successful or at least feel content at the end, even if yeah, you know I don't know. I like it. It is it is a happy ending. Is this is this therapy right for now? the people that are still alive in both these movies? <laughs> And a happy ending for the world since Maggot dies. Yep. Ultimately, it's... <laughs> the world's a little bit better off. Yep. A slightly brighter place. The sun is rising just a bit higher today because of that. Here's another question for you. Mm-hmm. What is another trope that you think either one of these movies does well? Hmm. I'm going to think about that one. Do you have an answer? I don't know if I have one right away. I think that uh, it's probably easier to find one in Suicide Squad since there's a lot more trope happening there. I think that the Suicide Squad does a much better job, as we've talked about already, of uh, allowing you to sympathize with what would easily be a one-off weird character that's just a comedic bit. Like... It's really, it's happy when King Shark meets his new dumb friends and then so sad when they become mean. And you're like, oh no. Yeah. (laughs) I I thought those guys were so nice. Yeah, and then they started biting on him and you're like, oh no. And then you're like, I was like, oh, that's why they were following him around like that. (laughs) It was not because they liked him, it was because they wanted to eat him. Right. So I think that, I think that that's a trope that that it does. Well, I don't know, that just the uh, sympathetic character like that if that's a trope i don't know are we just using the word trope wrong have we already made the word trope not have any meaning and we're only one episode into this year i mean if we go on to the tv tropes page there's tropes that i wouldn't even consider tropes right. so i think we're we're doing okay <laughs> yeah. i guess maybe a one of like someone overcoming a a fear a pathological mm-hmm. fear like a mm-hmm. phobia because of how bloodsport like he pets the rat at the yeah. end. Yeah. He pets little little Sebastian. Not little Sebastian from Parks. <laughs> I don't get Even it. Even littler. At all. The littlest Sebastian. I like the trope that is everybody every team that's fighting Nazis has at least one guy can speak German. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And Charles Bronson's parents being refugees that have fled previous german incidents is is on brand i'm here for that well they didn't get shot up at a bar for putting the wrong fingers up no like say off with the same thing nazi pulse <laughs> such a good such a good movie we could have easily done inglorious bastards and dirty dozen but that might have been too on the nose yeah but oh i mean well. we could do nazis and neo-nazis as villains yeah we could watch uh inglorious bastards and american history x 
Or what's that movie with Patrick Stewart? Oh, Green Room. Green Room. Yes. There we go. Then we can do that'll be a horror movie again too because that is certainly <laughs> that. It is not Nick's favorite uh, A twenty four movie, but I'm a fan. Anyways, uh, the question that we always ask: What would you pair one of these movies with that's not the other movie? Honestly, I know it's like a common quote, mm-hmm. a common trope, quote unquote, but I really don't know that many examples of it. Fair, personally, yeah. Like. Can I say the first Suicide Squad movie? I haven't seen it. Honestly, I feel like if pairing the first and second Suicide Squad would be a really good example of movies that are still technically part of the same series, but are still very different. I would be interested in watching those two as part of an episode like this. I think that... I don't know. I think that Dirty Dozen and maybe a different Getting the Group Together movie would work too. Like Dirty Dozen. Did we talk about it? on that episode we talked before the episode like oceans 11 like yeah. the new oceans 11 it was on the episode one. i think okay there's something like that might work or i guess we have maybe uh um maybe i mean the magnificent seven is a different I- I- idea of the trope but it is still kind of a little bit the idea yeah and i actually think that the modern like magnificent seven, seven with one of them yeah or yeah but the, i think that especially the modern magnificent seven and the dirty dozen would be a good way of comparing a team that like the original magnificent seven these people are not nearly as the 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 modern magnificent magnificent seven does a much better job of letting the two-dimensional trope shape the three-dimensional character mm-hmm. and i think that the dirty dozen although maybe not perfect at this, does a better job than a lot of older movies do, including the original Magnificent Seven, where at least as a person that did not watch it when it came out in the 50s, 60s, whatever, those characters are not nearly as dis- as differentiable as they are yeah, in Dirty Dozen it, or the like, remake. I guess the thread there, because it's not the exact same trope, is more people forced into a situation together. Yeah. And less of, I mean, obviously with, Magnificent Seven, it's not like no one has to. I mean, they could leave the town if they wanted to. Yeah. The people, they just decide, you know, they want to help out the town, really. Yeah. <clears throat> it's more being forced to and deciding to, I guess. This is an aside, and uh, it's not at all related, but I just thought it was, it's a real shame that we did Dirty Dozen the first month because we could have easily done a movie with a number in the title every month and then had our 12th month be Dirty Dozen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess we can go in reverse order what we pair with Ocean's Eleven. Uh, yeah, maybe another heist movie and it could still be on, on theme for the year. Yeah. Ocean's Eleven and uh, what's that Morgan Freeman one? Now You See Me. Hmm. When we get to seven, we can do Sesevenin. Sesevenin? Mm-hmm. A classic, Sesevenin. And then, of course, for two, Too Fast, Too Furious. Yeah. Anyways, I think this is getting away from us. Do you have anything else to say about these movies? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Me either. I think I'm good. I think I've said I've said my piece. And uh, I hope that you enjoyed this episode and Dirty Dozen and I, Suicide Squad. I did. I hope the listeners did as well. Listeners, if you haven't watched either of these movies, 
I really appreciate mm. the fact that you're listening to the podcast because <laughs> you've gotten this far. <laughs> clearly, you enjoy us as people, and maybe not these movies specifically. But I would encourage you to take a look at one or both of them. I think these might be two of the most fun movies mm. we've ever done. And until then, uh, keep watching movies and stay curious. And uh, we love you. Yeah.